So today's word is Gospels 1, the baptism of repentance. This is about John the Baptist. So in introducing this series, the combined accounts of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, give us a comprehensive narrative of the life of Jesus from his birth through to his resurrection and ascension into heaven. The four Gospels are written by four different men of different temperaments and backgrounds who also write from different perspectives. So there are variations in details and emphases and there are certain gaps in some Gospels that end up being filled by other Gospels. For example, only Matthew and Luke write in their early chapters about the birth of Jesus and give genealogies of his ancestry. The Christmas stories in the books of Matthew and Luke reveal the fact that Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins because of their mothers, Mary and Elizabeth, and would have met one another as families in their younger years when everyone visited the temple in Jerusalem for the three major feasts of Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles. And they also would have, I would say, probably enjoyed family times together before John went off to live in the wilderness, probably in his early teenage years, after his bar mitzvah, perhaps. John the Baptist had for many years lived a monastic life in the wilderness amongst a group of male Jewish disciples called the Essenes, which are not mentioned as such in the Bible, but are referred to generally as zealots. And they lived in the lowest geographical place in the earth, close to the Dead Sea, near Jericho. Simon the Zealot is named in the Gospels as a disciple of Jesus. And Judas Iscariot is also believed to have been a zealot. Iscariot means to be a member of the Sikiari, which is Iscariot. These were the zealots who committed assassinations against Romans and their allies and were waiting for a messianic leader to lead them into war against the Roman oppressors. They were waiting for the Messiah. This could partly explain the disappointment of Judas in his expectations of what Jesus was going to come and do to the Romans. And it could explain perhaps partly his bitter betrayal of Jesus. All the Gospel writers begin talking about the ministry of Jesus by introducing the ministry of John the Baptist and his ministry of repentance. Matthew dramatically describes the entrance of John the Baptist into the religious and political scene in Judea. He was wearing a camel's skin and eating locusts and wild honey and he despised the opulent and corrupt lifestyle of the rich and powerful. There were people like Herod, Antipas, King Herod, who cruelly lorded it over the people on behalf of the oppressive Romans. John saw that the integrity of Israel's religion was under threat and decaying from within, and he berated the religious teachers of the Jewish law as well as the corrupt Jewish tax collectors who were becoming more and more burdened by their compromise. They were acting for the Roman government, Jewish men, like Matthew. 
And the simple God-fearing hearts of the Galileans were becoming more and more burdened by the ungodly influences that were all around them, up there in Galilee of the Gentiles, which the Bible speaks of, from the river to the sea, that area. And that offended their consciences, and it distressed their souls. And the same oppression was felt by the needy and the poor in spirit in Judea and in Jerusalem. So the warning issued by John the Baptist began to draw many hearts back to godliness like a magnet, the drawing power of God. That's what I want to focus on today. Matthew 3 verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to meet him. And they were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You offspring of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth the fruit of repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, playing the religion card. He spoke fervently to all the different types of people who came to hear his message of repentance and the warnings of judgment. And among these were certain fishermen from the Lake of Galilee who had heard how John had been baptising people in the Jordan River. He told them that if the tree that bore the fruit of their lives was useless, then an axe would have to be laid to the root of that tree. It had to be regrown. He told different ones about how their actions and attitudes had to change, saying to the plentiful who had ample food and clothing that if they had two coats, then they should give one away. That's in Luke 3, quoting from that scripture. Then tax collectors also came to be baptised and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. You can see that all kinds of people were being drawn And there was a target in their heart by God for each one of them for change to happen, for a turning to come. The voice of the prophet came. The fervent call of John the prophet to repentance pierced the consciences of many people, drawing their hearts to desire a return to the ways of God, just like the prophets of God's people in the days of old, such as Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31, he says, Turn me, O Lord, and I will be turned. I want to repeat that. Turn me, O Lord, and I will be turned. And after my turning, I was surely sorry. The word for turning in the Old Testament is sub, S-U-B, which means turning from and turning to. From the bad that you had been drawn to, you see, 
you get drawn in life one way or the other. Being turned from the bad that you've been drawn to and being drawn back to the good that God wants for you. But the turning is only the beginning. And then there's the sorrow and the need for forgiveness. And then can come the hope. God's word, the Torah, guided Israel and highlighted their disobedience of what they had to turn from. See, prophets had to be there to tell people to do this. There were people of good heart and good conscience that would look for the Lord, but didn't know really what is it in me that needs to change. Well, what God did with the Torah, he got a hold of tribes, 12 tribes of Israel and kidnapped them for 1,500 years and said, well, this is what you're going to do. And here's what I'm going to bring to you for you to be obedient to, for you to turn from in your disobedience. There were the weighty commandments not to steal or to kill or to lie. And there were the countless precise rules or regulations like the multitude of unclean food laws or the touching of dead things like reptiles and lizards and the hundreds of other ordinances in the book of Leviticus. They would have to go to the priest who would offer a specific sacrifice of atonement on their behalf for that sin. They'd have to offer goats, bulls, doves and pigeons, depending on the transgression. And in this way, a person received forgiveness. Now that's pretty complicated, isn't it? You are so blessed. (laughs) Then once a year on the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, all Israel were cleansed and forgiven. But as that sense of being right with God soon wore off, Their minds and hearts continued day after day to bear the guilt and shame for all these sins and indiscretions. That's how they lived. But they were reminded day after day after day. The word in the New Testament for this kind of repenting, turning toward God and away from self, is stronger than the word sub in the Old Testament. The Greek word is epistrepho, which is found in this transformational scripture from 2 Corinthians. And I'll read it to you in chapter 3, verse 18, 15 to 18. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. That's Israel. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, epistrepho, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and liberty. But we, all of us, with unveiled face, beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, That's a full turnaround. That's stronger than Sub in the Old Testament. They didn't have anything like this. The word epistrepho comes from the word trope. That's how you break the word down in Greek. And that means being drawn in a certain direction because of an attracting influence. 
trope play. The movement of a plant shoot being drawn towards the sun is phototropic, which means being drawn to the light. Photos, phototropic, drawn, attracted by the light. It's because of a gross substance called oxen, A-U-X-I-N, which is part of God's design of the creation of plants that have to grow up and find the sun for photosynthesis. God's created them to turn towards the, the light. It's not a bad design plan, is it? It's an attractive force and he creates something in the living organism to be drawn to it. I think there's a story there. So, the plant shoot will not reach up and grow toward the light if it's corrupted at the roots or deprived from its oxen, A-U-X-I-N. God has to put the thing together and if it gets corrupted, it can't turn. A part of the creative design of every human heart is that it is spiritually coded to be drawn toward the light of God's love and truth, every human heart. But there is a part in every human mind and heart that can be drawn away from the light by being damaged at the roots by the destructive power of darkness and become blinded from God's light and truth. Now that's very straightforward. One word, repentance, contains all of that design of God that's logical and real. It never stops. How do we get into that? Because God's already in it. And so are we really. We get awakened to something. The Word of God can bring this to life. Because this struggle of two attractions goes on in every human heart and has been since the time of Adam when darkness first invaded the human soul. And the mind was blinded and the heart was defiled with wrong desires. That's when it started. And the soul became crippled. The fervent words of John the Baptist were able to draw the poor in spirit away from darkness and towards the light. John the Baptist had a job to do and he knew how to do it. And was he equipped? But John the Baptist could only point toward the light that only Jesus could shine into their hearts. But boy, we need people like that that are fervent, that wake things up. And John pointed to Jesus and said to the people, I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance. That is a change of mindset, metanoia. Turning from and turning to. He says, I baptise you in water for that. To see if you're committed for that to happen in your life. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And this is where John's Gospel fills in a gap in the other Gospels about who the true light is. You've got to find that in another gospel. And 
We read in John 1.6, God sent John as a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the true light. John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to identify it. But then the one would come who is the true light and he would bring light to everyone who comes into the world. Really light? Everyone? Everyone. John also wrote the words of Jesus, and I will send the Spirit. He's sent the Spirit into the world to convict the world, to get them to turn. Not just a few people here and there who have kind of been acting the right way. No, look at the kind of people he's talking to. Jesus is the light to bring light to everyone who comes into the world. But even though Jesus, the true light, made the world, the world didn't recognise him when he came. And even in his own land and among his own people, the Jews, he was not accepted. Only a few would welcome and receive him. But to all who received him, he gave the power, that word is exousia, authority, liberty, freedom and sovereignty to become children of God. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them. That's John 1.6. So you see, he is the light that comes to everyone that comes into the world. But who's going to receive the light? Why don't people just say, yeah, I'll have the light anytime? What would stop us? Well, <laughs> there's plenty to stop us. As we've seen about the plant and the root of the tree. Welcoming and receiving Jesus in any and every circumstance, no matter what's happening in our lives, that is the sovereign authority and freedom that we have to win against the struggle of the power of darkness to damage our souls. Now David, in the Psalms, described this internal destructive drawing power of darkness. It's going on. And you and me, all the time, <laughs> tried to get Jesus, but he had power over it, totally. I mean, he was drawn to one light. <laughs> he overcame every bit of attractive power that came to him. That's why he had to become human. But David, at a heart after God, describes this internal destructive drawing power of darkness. He says to God, Search me, Lord, and know me. Know my heart and show me any wicked way that is in me. And God, then lead me in the way everlasting. Now, when you look at that word wicked, in the Hebrew, it is Oseb, O-S-E-B. And it has a few different meanings. The first one is an idol that is fashioned by a person. Takes them off in the wrong direction. Substitute for God. It also means pain, mental and bodily pain or sorrow. That's that word wicked, Oseb. It's the destructive baggage in our souls. That's what it is. A confused mind and a crippled heart. Uh, who hasn't got one of them? <laughs> well, Jesus didn't have one of them. All the rest of us qualify for confusion of mind and crippling of heart. And that's attractive. In some weird way, people say, that's what I want. I just need to get into this stuff. 
and slaughtered a lot of And yet, I'll show them, and you know, I'll blame him, and I'll slaughter it all out so I feel better about myself. <laughs> Not the way to do it. We can have the same honest prayer as David had to search our heart and show us any wicked way in us and draw us into the way everlasting. Anybody can do that if you've a mind to and a heart to. And that wicked way, the Oseb, of inner pain, along with all the other crooked ways that cripple our souls, draws us like a magnet back into our souls where we resist the drawing power of God's love and truth to us. There must be a way. There must be something we can do about that. It's not very difficult. You say, okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. I'm going to come and spend, I'm going to come and spend some time with you. And what I'm going to be thinking of and conscious of, instead of the other stuff, is you drawing me. Oh, you're drawing me. You and me. God says, gotcha. I've been targeting that heart of yours. It's grievous to see so many people in these days being drawn inwards by the pain and sadness in their lives rather than being drawn upwards into the light of God's hope and purpose for their lives. Many people sadly spend most of their thinking lives in the inner pain of their souls. The world's full of it at the moment. It's almost like a creative art to be so inventive as to shift the blame onto something else or to just worry yourself into a frenzy and demand special treatment as being a victim of this cruel thing called life that other people are doing to me. So people getting caught in that inner pain, trying to find a way to fix things and feel better about themselves comes at the cost of finding the freedom of faith in God, which the Holy Spirit is doing to draw us into. He's been sent into the world to do that, not just into the church, into the world. Now it's one thing to be made aware of the oseb of our inner pain and waywardness, but we do not have to go and get a priest, like in the Old Testament, to make a sacrifice of atonement. Because we have what Jesus has done for us and the fervent drawing of the Holy Spirit turning us towards him to his love and truth about who we are in our togetherness with him. Amen.